When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All The Things Podcast. This episode is titled Sneak Peek. At Svelte 5, learn to embrace change. Now, this is going to be a challenge for me, embracing change, namely, but also because I'm learning Svelte. But Mike's going to take us through all the different things about Svelte, a little bit of history, uh, some of the main sort of changes that are happening in this update, and then we'll have a conversation about embracing change and whether I'm going to do it, and I never do, so that's good. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to support this show, you can go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us at our Discord server, share this with your friends. We also have a Scrimba discount link. If you want to go check that out, it'll be in the show description or the show notes on htmlallthethings.com. Go check that out. Oh, Mike, you're going to start out with a history of Svelte, so please, sir, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. And just before I get too far into the episode, I do want to kind of do do it a little disclaimer here that this will be a little bit more technical. I am going to gloss over a lot of the technical stuff because I want to have more of just a wider discussion on Svelte in general, uh, where it's going, how it how it got here. And I wanted to get to that discussion with Matt. So stay tuned for that at the end of the episode where Matt and I will discuss how this affects his new learning. Uh, he's, He's learning Svelte. So this is going to directly affect him. And is he going to embrace it? Is he not going to embrace it? I'm going to try to convince him to embrace it, and we'll see what ha- we'll see what happens. Uh, it's going to be an interesting discussion. So stay tuned for that. But again, there will be a little bit of technical jargon, so bear with me there while we're going through it. Um, but again, well, let's start with the history of Svelte. Uh, I just want to kind of mention it. I have mentioned it on previous podcasts, but I think it's really important in this context because of where Svelte Five is going. And the actual implications of the changes that are happening. So, Svelte was released six years ago, November 26, 2016. It was created by Rich Harris, who was at the time working for New York Times and needed a, needed a tool for himself to be able to build really interesting data visualizations for some of the website, for the New York Times website. So, there was a lot of data that was being processed and we need, they needed to show it in nice graph form. And the technology that was available at the time for him wasn't sufficient. So he's like, I'm building something new. First, he built actually something before Svelte. And then eventually it turned into Svelte, a more publicly available framework for everyone to use. And the ethos of it initially was, hey, we want to be a framework that's super simple to use, super simple to get ramped up with and create these super complex but visually uh, visual visual experiences for web UIs, right? Um, they, the differences, the main difference between like something like React or Vue at the time between Svelte was the fact that it wasn't just a framework. It was actually a compiler. And what that means is that a compiler will take code that you've written in your IDE and generate HTML, JavaScript and CSS from that code, removing anything that's unnecessary. So it essentially removes Svelte, the framework and only packages what you've actually written so that it works in the browser, 
right? So it's very, very lean. That's why it was always considered extremely fast and minified, like, like min- minimal in the sense of like the package size when you actually build it. It was always that being the main differentiator between all the different frameworks. The other differentiator, like I said, was simplicity. So when someone's looking at Svelte as a reactive framework, they're seeing very similar, just straightforward JavaScript code with a little bit of, um, figuring out like why, what this does. So like when you're, when you, for instance, declare a variable inside of a Svelte component, let X equals two, for instance, that will immediately make that variable reactive and be available in your templating syntax. So you can put, you know, in squiggly brackets X and it will display two inside of your, you know, div tag or H1 tag or whatever you want to do inside this felt component. You don't have to do any sort of magic sugar or magic uh, syntax for that to work. You don't have to do anything other than declaring the variable in the uh, initial scope of your script tag of the component, right? So that was it. And it looked really simple. And I think when you're starting out, it is really simple to understand. And I, I kind of, Matt, what would you say about that? Was it easy for you to understand that part of it? Or did you have issues understanding why it was all of a sudden reactive or available? Uh, I would say it was pretty simple. I would say in comparison to, I've kind of done like the My First app in Svelte, and I've also done the My First app in uh, React as well. And I found myself, because I like digging into how things work. And I mean, I, I know more than I should, of course, kind of almost like a character problem, but a character trait problem, I guess. <laughs> but um, more or less, like with Svelte, it was very little digging and it was very little sort of question marks. Whereas with React, I was definitely digging more and being like, what's going on here? And you know, I hear about this shadow DOM. What's going on here? And blah, 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 blah. And I don't remember when I did the React one. It could have been because uh, they upgraded from hooks to whatever or something. I remember you guys saw. I don't use it. So, you know, I'm not informed. Um, but like, I don't remember which one I use. So maybe it's more, you know, simpler now. Uh, I do actually have a question, though, about this. So you were saying that, like, w- what basically what Svelte does is it goes through a compiler and it kind of like translates or strips away the Svelte code and outputs that HTML, CSS, or JavaScript to run the application. So my question is, though, is that the browser, it does that, or sorry, it only understands those three. And so what are the other ones doing? Like, why is this one's compiler different than, say, Reacts or Vue or whatever? So because the other ones are relying on something called the Shadow DOM um, to do all the reactive state changes, that requires you to ship a big portion of logic to detect when something changes in code and then propagate that change through the shadow DOM and into the browser. So into HTML and CSS. The the biggest difference again is that we're not in react and view, for instance, you're not translating your code directly from, uh, you know, HTML and div blocks into create element by IDs or create, create elements, JavaScript.create elements or whatever document.create element. Right. That's how you would build a reactive site with just JavaScript. Um, but with so in, in, in React and Vue, you're not doing that. It's creating a, a, an abstracted layer using the shadow DOM technique where it's doing much more complex changes, requiring much more code to be shipped to do those changes in a fast and efficient way. Whereas Svelte takes it to the other side where it's literally translating to native javascript apis create elements right so it is doing the most basic form of uh 
reactivity using JavaScript core features rather than a whole other framework to do those changes in the DOM. And that framework that you're talking about with the shadow DOM and the logic and all that, that in the React case would be um, still JavaScript. Like it would still be yes. what the browser understands. It's just that there's almost like, if you will, a driver, like a hardware driver. If, if this was a piece of hardware, it's like a hardware driver in between displaying it on the screen on the website versus, you know, what you're changing in the code, like change this title and then it has to go through the driver first. Exactly. It's just more JavaScript. It's just okay. more JavaScript than what Svelte ships because Svelte doesn't rely on that type of reactive uh, reactivity in the browser, right? And, and, and creation of elements. So that's the main difference. That's why Svelte is able to ship smaller package-sized code. That's why Svelte is in general faster. And that's why Svelte also, another kind of perk of that, is compatible with pretty much any JavaScript library without having to write pretty much any adapter for it. So a lot of times, if you're going to adapt a JavaScript li library into something like React, you're going to need to make sure that it supports the Shadow DOM, the React language, like maybe the, the React hooks and stuff like that. Like there is a layer of abstraction that's needed to adapt a JavaScript library into a React library. That's sometimes complex, sometimes not complex, but whatever, it's needed. With Svelte, because we're just working with literally, literally JavaScript and script tags, you can use pretty much any JavaScript library directly in your code without having to adapt it, quote unquote, into Svelte. So that allows for a larger ecosystem without actually having to implicitly create a larger ecosystem for Svelte, um, which is cool. And a lot of libraries now that are being created, uh, auth libraries or Web3 libraries, whatever, are starting to create it with just pure JavaScript in mind rather than just straight React because you're able to then take that pure JavaScript and add an adapter for React and add an adapter for Vue and add an adapter for Angular. But for Svelte, you don't even need that. You're just taking the core library that's provided to you by the developer and literally using it as it's meant to be used in JavaScript, which is kind of cool. I don't know if we mentioned this in the episode, but we had a couple a couple episodes of Christopher and Andy, and he's he's you know a fan of using the like the platform features, meaning the vanilla JavaScript features as much as possible. And it, and it kind of sounds like, you know, the platform, the vanilla JavaScript has matured to a point where it can support something like Svelte. And whereas React and, you know, the others kind of were born out of the platform being, you know, immature for the needs of web apps and websites, it kind of seems like Svelte is closer to maybe his vision. I don't want to speak on his behalf, but I, like that's the vibe I got out of, you know, those previous episodes we had. I don't remember 100%, but I'm pretty sure, pretty confident that we had that discussion with Chris where he said that like Svelte is the closer thing to what he envisions the JavaScript evolving into uh, with a few caveats here and there. But I think he has the same kind of thought process. Again, not don't quote me on it completely, but I think we had that discussion. And yeah, you're right. It's just it, it, it kind of supports his ethos in general where you're just enhancing JavaScript rather than abstracting it away. Again, having said that, this is the history of Svelte, the benefits, whatever, uh, we're back to kind of, again, one of the core features of Svelte was that really simple let x equals 2, and all of a sudden it's reactive. And then there was like a dollar sign uh, for reactivity for doing like computed variables and use effects and stuff like that. There was a very simple syntax of just a dollar sign colon, and then you can write a massive whatever. any Anything that happens in your dollar sign colon, essentially, anything that changes 
in there on a consistent basis will automatically update everything else in that function and will rerun it. So if you need to do like recalculation of total, for instance, of your e-commerce website and you do it through a dollar sign colon in Svelte, uh, it'll recalculate your entire cart every time one of those items is updated. You could do really fancy logic like that inside there. So there was a lot of structures that Svelte allowed in really simplistic form to give you full access to all of the reactivity that you would need from any other sophisticated framework, right? That's where we were. That's Svelte 4. Um, and that's what I've been using for the past few years uh, for a few production applications that we built. Um, and I've liked it. Like the, I have, I've had really no serious concerns with it. There are some nitpicks here and there. And I did still miss some features from other frameworks. Obviously, like nothing is perfect, even though I love Svelte. Other frameworks do things better in certain ways. And I'll get to that. But where Svelte is going is starting to kind of appeal to that mindset, to the other framework mindset, because it ran into the same issues that I've run into and that other developers ran into. So the creator of Svelte have, has run into the issues that happen with too much simplification of your language. And they've found ways around it because they're still a compiler right? This is still a different type, a different way to handle things. And they have a lot more control than other frameworks, but it is starting to look like a view framework, for instance, with the new announcement. So I'm, that's my preface for the next uh, topic here, because the next topic is Svelte 5 runes. Svelte 5 runes was just sneak peeked. It wasn't, it was announced, but there's no date of it coming out. So runes is a feature of Svelte 5. I should clarify because it's not Svelte 5 isn't called runes, but it's a feature of Svelte 5. And they were given Rich Harris did an announcement on uh, September 20th, I guess if you're listening to this in the future, 2023, uh, and showed us what Svelte 5 is going to look like from a high level. And runes is the biggest change to uh, the paradigm that I was just discussing before this, right? We're going to have different ways of declaring variables. So no longer will let X equal to immediately make a variable um, reactive. We're going to have to implicitly or sorry, explicitly state, use a state function, dollar sign state to make it reactive. And for the compiler then to see that it's reactive and for your code, your template to know that it's reactive and do the same thing that let X would do, right? This has a lot of benefits uh, to it, and I'll discuss them. But to kind of preface this as well, or to kind of calm everyone down, the older method is still supported, at least for probably all of Svelte 5. I, but from my understanding, Svelte 6, Svelte 7, I don't know when, they will deprecate it at some point. But you don't have to go in and change your entire code base to upgrade to Svelte 5. I believe there's not going to be any core breaking changes, but you can opt in to start using runes whenever you want when Svelte 5 it launches. I want to like add actually a comment there because I was going to wait for like our conversation after, but it's kind of hot off the presses right now. And this is where like my IT brain kicks in, where this is where things kind of start getting scary for people. And it's it's in two camps as well. So the first camp is you're working in an internal team. 
you're building a website or web app, you're using Svelte. And now you have this question mark of, yeah, sure, you know, we're supported for now, but now we have, you know, a potential end date. And yeah, we're speculating, right? But I mean, as IT managers would do, they would speculate. And as, you know, tech managers would do, chances are they're going to speculate as well because they don't want to be caught in a situation in which, you know, what is it right now? It's September 21st right now. They don't want to be caught in a situation even if they say, well, December 31st, we're cutting that sport. And then it's like, oh, okay. You know, and then you, you run. Now I'm not saying that that's what's going to happen, but that's the situation. That's like the worst case scenario of an IT or a tech manager where you're like, oh my God, you're in a better place. If you're in one of those internal teams and working, that's camp one, because you have to upgrade that app regardless. And so you're just going to get paid to upgrade that app and that's it. And then you're going to have to have some internal office politics over, Hey, we got to do some retooling or whatever refactoring. We have to push back on new features for a bit because we have to do this or whatever the case is, right? The work's going to get done. The biggest problem comes in is if you're working as a freelancer or if you're like a contractor, your big problem comes in into that relationship because now you're going to have to question, or at least I would start questioning um, hey, hey, like client, uh, there's a bunch of refactoring work and I'm going to need another $6,000, you know, and yes, it's not necessarily, you know, right now it might not even be imminent. Maybe the old way of reactivity of variables. And I'm sure there's going to be other things that Mike talks about. Um, maybe that stuff will, you know, be supported for Svelte five and six and seven, and we don't have to worry about it, but we certainly as managers of the project should really be speculating and be at the very least aware and getting ready to move things around because there's already so many moving parts in the web world where if you're connecting to this API, that API is a company, that company gets purchased. Now you got to change what you do. And it's like a whole thing, right? And that's just one example. So now you have this moving as well. And so this is where, you know, my fears kind of come to light. Whereas all of a sudden, oh, oh, good. You know, and, and we've had a client, you know, more recently where their site is so old, we can't update their, their WordPress theme. And it's like, good. You know, that's a major component. And yeah, from a technical perspective, put a new theme in there. Of course, like, of, of course, but I have to sell them on that. I can't just be like, yo, man, like, I'm just going to switch your theme real quick. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just the whole visual system of our, of your WordPress site. And so, yes, this is, you know, the first thing you're talking about. It's just state. I don't want to be like sounding alarm bells, but that's that second camp, the freelancer or the contractor that has to sell their hours, sell their billable hours or get the billable hours approved. They're not working internally on a salary. So that's my two cents on this is this is where my, my fears are originating. And I, I, I get it. And I, I have the same fears sometimes, but let's, let me, let me put a different question to you. How long, if you build a site today, how long do you expect that site to work without touching it? It's a good question. I mean, it depends on the site, of course. True. Um, like, let's say it's a complex, a more complex site that requires reactivity, requires a database. If it's a WordPress site that is unupdated, which is not a good idea, but if it's a WordPress yep. site that is unupdated, it should probably work five or six years. Yeah. But you really shouldn't be leaving it unupdated. I want to be clear. But like, let's Correct. just say you, you were able to do that on like some sort of closed system. So like, you're right, I guess, because you're kind of alluding toward, I would imagine like, yeah, you need to do maintenance, right? And so like, if, if you want, if you want your site to, to be updated or kept up to date, you need to do maintenance. But 
realistically, like, do you like, uh, when is the point when your site will break? So yeah, let's say that your recommendation five to six years is because the PHP version, uh, PHP, this is a little bit of a different conversation because this is a security vulnerability situation where if P, if there's security vulnerabilities in your server side language, this is much more imminent for you to solve. Right. Mm-hmm. But regardless, let's, let's put that aside. Let's, let's only talk about the front end of things. Leaving it completely. At what point do you think it'll just break? Like, and won't work at all? Is it 10 years? I would think a long time because we've definitely, we definitely have some business card websites out there for clients that are quite literally static HTML, CSS, JS, if there's even any JS in there, where yeah. it's a really simple, like, this is my business and this is my phone number. Um, and those sites are just fine. And you also see that with, um, other sites out there where, you know, clearly, I mean, I, I think Craigslist is, is in that style for, you know, almost branding at the, that point, but there's sites that look like Craigslist because they were made in the era in which that style came from. Um, and like those sites still work. So like, yeah, like you could leave it, but then like this is where it kind of gets wishy washy yeah. is it's sort of like, how do you sell this? Like, especially if you're in middle of development. As a freelancer, like you're selling your services for a, a period of time, and then you either sell a maintenance package or you don't. You know right. what I mean? Like you're 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 doing the site. Your job isn't to make sure that it works for 20 years. Your job is to make sure that it works in a reasonable for a reasonable amount of time frame. A business's website needs to be updated. I would say, I don't know, every four years, probably at this point. At the very least, like renovated, right? Correct. Keep up with SEO standards, keep up with new design trends. You know what I mean? Like if you leave your website for a long time, you could be losing potential customers because you're not capitalizing on whatever new criteria is needed to keep your site relevant in search algorithms. So regardless of anything, if you're serious about your business, your online business or your online application, leaving it for anywhere over three to four years without touching it seems like a cr- probably not a good idea, right? I agree but, with that. Yeah, in general, yeah, yes. Right. And so as a freelancer, that's what you're selling. You're selling that chunk of time that your site should work. With Svelte, right, if you were to build a Svelte site right now, again, it it compiles down to just JavaScript APIs. Until those JavaScript APIs go out of service for whatever reason, mm-hmm. uh, your site will run. This isn't something that will get deprecated. If you don't update your Svelte site, this isn't a backend language. You're probably not going to have any security vulnerabilities because it's just front end. Everything is open anyway. So realistically, again, the decision you make now, yes, if you're planning on maintaining this website for six years, seven years, which is possible, but with updates every week or whatever, because it's an app, it could be a web application. A lot of time when you're creating something with Svelte, your your mindset is more web application rather than website, right? So it's a little bit of a different mindset. Um, but if it's an app, you're, you're maintaining it. This is a serious consideration that you just brought up because now you're building something in a language in in a in a paradigm that you have to eventually adapt to a completely new one. Going from let x equal two to let x equal dollar sign state bracket bracket two mm-hmm. is different, right? And it goes, it trickles down. Like there's more that I'm going to talk about that's going to change the paradigm of your Svelte app. Okay, so you have to be okay with that rewrite when you start using Svelte today. 
That's the reality of it. I'm not sugarcoating it for anyone, right? If you're just a contractor, though, in my opinion, you build the site, everything's fine. You you send it, you deploy it. It'll run for 10 years. Like it'll run for however long, again, those JavaScript APIs are running. And to maintain it, yeah, you'll have to go back and maintain it. If you need to, That that's a different maintenance contract. That's a different talk. So I... I think every website that you build has to have this com- consideration, whether it be PHP, like WordPress, like Matt was mentioning, or React even. Like, yes, React is a mature framework. It has its class components. It has its uh, uh, hooks component, hooks way of doing things. It has a new paradigm now called React Server Components, which was just released last, last year. It's a mature framework. It has a new paradigm being a- added to it. There is no stagnation in this sphere of things, everyone is trying to compete. Everyone is trying to make something better. If we stagnate, the framework will die. That's the reality of it. If we stop innovating, people will, the people that love it will continue using it, but new people will gravitate to something more flashy and newer and faster and better. So again, this is a talk more about being afraid of change, but I think the mindset that Matt's putting out right now is important to talk about because if you start to close your mind off immediately being like, I loved the old syntax and I don't even want to hear about this new stuff, you might be missing out on not only just the Svelte update, but every other thing that you latch onto in web development realistically. There is no stop, we're stopping innovating. There is none of that. If you want that, then you have to go to a a language that is no longer being maintained, which is like COBOL. Like if you want to manage uh, mainframes for old banks and stuff like that, if you don't want things to change, you have to go backwards in time at this point and stick with that. And that's could be a a thing, but I think embracing change is way easier and way better to get your head around and will advance you in your career a lot faster as well. Thinking about the change is also a lot worse than doing the change as well. Correct. Like if you, if you see old videos from like 2001, you would think, Oh, it's in the 2000s. Like it, the videos probably look fine and they just look like garbage. And you're like, Oh my God, like this, you know, this isn't HD. This isn't look like nice looking. Like what the hell is this? And it's sort of like, well, yeah, because you know, a lot of things have changed, but you didn't really realize it every year that you, whatever year you chose to upgrade your phone, for example, which is a common thing, right? You found, not found footage since a movie, but if someone has like cell phone footage from 2001, 2003, 2005, it looks really, really not good. Um, and you don't really think of that. And then every year it gets a little better, a little better, a little better. And so like, if you were to think about, Oh my God, you know, I have a flip phone now, but I'm going to have a phone. That's like this massive thing. And it's like, it weighs like a weighs as much as a brick and it has five cameras on the back. What are we going to do? You know, like, like the, the anticipation of it is, you know, scarier, I guess, than it is. And and typical IT trying to keep everything the same. So it just keeps working. But you're right. Like there comes a point where, you know, fiber internet is in office buildings and fiber internet wasn't really, you know, kicking around too much 10 years ago. And so like those appliances that they installed, say 15 years ago had a five year lifespan that either they were aware of or weren't aware of. And then they eventually had to switch them. And so like the anticipation and the, I don't know, the anxiety or worry or whatever you want to call it. Um, of the upgrade is often worse than the upgrade. Yes, that's exactly it. <clears throat> you, the initial reaction that a lot of people had to this, to the, to the ruins announcement was exactly that. They're just like, Oh my God, it's changing the way I do things. And I like Svelte because of the, the way that it does things. And that's fair. Like that's a fair reaction to have. And I, it's, it's tough to argue against. And like 
to Rich Harris's credit, he like <laughs> he had a bunch of memes and stuff inside of the announcement alluding to the fact that people were going to do that because he knew like you, you, you'd be arrogant not to think that you're that the old way is going to be, you know, was loved by everyone. And then all of a sudden you're going to introduce the new way and people are going to embrace it across the board. It's not the case. If you look on Stack o- on sorry, not Stack Overflow, Hacker News, Reddit, even on some of Twitter, there's people making fun of it. There's people complaining about it. Just like with any change in any major thing, like Facebook changes its UI, people go crazy and then people get used to it. Um, obviously, there's when you go too far and you make it so that like you have you force someone to use something new and you make everything deprecated and stuff like that. That's not happening in this situation. Like no one's forcing you to get, to use these ruins probably for I would I'm going to say years uh, because thinking back on the view change that happened. So a little bit of history here. View two had a very different API than view three. And there was a big change there, and it was exactly the same kind of discussion where people were initially up in arms, giving them a, a few a few months or a year, and all of a sudden people started to accept the change. In my opinion, that's most likely what's going to happen with Bruins. People are going to be up in arms. Although, to be fair, I've seen less of that because I think people that have seriously used Svelte have noticed the pain points. People that have built larger applications have noticed that, hey, I can't do this that I could do in another application or another framework. I would love to be able to externalize my state calls. I would love to be able to rewrite or refactor my dollar sign colon calls into separate functions, which you could not do. Like you had a lot of spaghetti code due to the fact of how limiting the some of the magic syntax that was allowed, that, that was given as soon as the complexity increased. And so... There are people, and I think a, a pretty significant amount, that are embracing this change, which is awesome. And to the people that aren't, I would recommend, just like Matt said, just take it slow. And like the the fear of change is much worse than the actual change. So let yourself fear it, sure. Let yourself be angry, sure. But until you actually try it, don't write it off. That's all I'm saying. Because... For me, it was a little bit different. Uh, I'll just give you my perspective on what happened. Uh, I was already kind of getting frustrated with a little bit of the syntax magic that was happening in Svelte due to the complexity of the apps that I was building. So I was looking for ways to externalize it. I found a few that worked kind of, and they were fine, and I was like okay with it. Uh, I still preferred it to the React method, for instance, so I, was, I wasn't going to abandon Svelte. But I liked how Vue 3 did things. Okay, so I was a, initially more of a Vue developer than a Svelte developer. I did the change from Vue 2 to Vue 3 from composition or from uh, lifecycle to composition, I think. Uh, and composition API was something called signals, okay, in the background, where you just had different, different you know, uh, functions essentially that you could call that would signal to the entire application that something needs to be watched or something needed to be changed or something, right? It's not something that's limited to a component. It's not something that's limited to just one block of code, how it was before in view. There was a change and all of a sudden it made sense. Svelte is doing the exact same thing. They're going from their magic to more explicit magic, which is signals. And these dollars, this dollar sign state that I just mentioned is one of the signals that signifies that, hey, this is a variable that 
the template and the application needs to be aware of. If it changes, we need to do something. We need to update the UI on the app, right? So if let equals let x equals dollar sign state two, if someone were down the line to go x equals three, that wherever it's represented in the template, wherever div that has x inside of it needs to update. That's what dollar sign state is saying. Okay. And it's explicitly saying that, which is, I think, the big difference. Before, if it was in the root of the script tag of any component, let x equals two, it was automatically made into a quote unquote state. Okay. That's the difference. So it's not that much. It's not that much of a, of a, of a difference here that should super scare anyone. You're just having to write an extra word, which kind of sucks because you were used to a simple syntax sugar. But at the end of the day, the benefits outweigh that. And I'll get into that in a second. Uh, the next uh, rune here is derived. So dollar sign derived. Uh, this will replace half of the dollar sign colon problem that I was mentioning. Um, essentially derived just means if one variable, like let's say X equals two, right, needs to be doubled for something else, right? So you need a variable that's derived from that variable. You need a X uh, let double equals, and then you can use the derived to then inside of the derived write X times two. Anytime X updates, it will automatically update the derived variable double. And you can use that across your entire application, whether it be in function calls, whether it be in your in your uh, templating syntax. Anytime x is equal, if x is equal to one, your double variable will be equal to two. If x is equal to two, your double variable will be equal to four, and it will have the same reactive properties. It'll be updated at the same time. So it's a very simple computed variable. That's really what it is. If you're familiar with other framework syntax. Uh, the next thing here is effect. So dollar sign effect. This one is a little bit more complicated. Uh, and it's probably reminiscent to some React fellows that know what use effect is, but it is a signal. It's a little bit different. It does not require dependency injection or anything like that. It's a little bit cleaner. Essentially what effect does, it means that you can, it will update whatever's in effect on mount of the component, which is like DOM content loaded of a component. So, and it'll update whatever's in your effect every time a state changes. So anything you put inside your dollar sign effect will be reactive in a sense that anytime it changes. So if you put state, if you put your, uh, you know, let X state equal your into your dollar sign effect, anytime state changes, it'll rerun the effect. And you can do whatever you want with that. You can, you know, again, if you need to output something into the console anytime that effect changes, you can do that. You, if you need to update your uh, cart anytime your X variable changes, right? You can do that. You can put complex logic into there. You can put function calls into there, whatever you want. It is just kind of like a watcher on whatever you need inside of the, the effect. Okay. That's the third rune. The fourth rune is the props rune. This one essentially just simplifies prop injection. So being able to uh, put props into different components, it's it's fairly straightforward in the sense that you just, instead of having an export, 
export uh, let x or export const x as the prop syntax magic in Svelte, you now have an explicit prop that can deconstruct and you don't have to put like 15 different ex- export statements. You can just have one prop statement and deconstruct it using the spread syntax or whatever into as many properties as you want. It has some other side benefits of that um, in terms of you not having to alias your class names and stuff like that. Like th- there are some really big benefits of props, uh, but it's not as revolutionary or game changing, I would say, as the other ones. Well, what's so wait a second. So what's that there then? So like, is that like it just shoots all of the know, variables or whatever, all the props to do you still tell it what component or is it just like spray it out like a shotgun blast and then you have to deconstruct it? Yeah, whatever props you want to declare, you just instead of I don't know if you've declared props, you've you have, right? You use yeah. ex- export let whatever declaration instead of doing that, you just declare them inside of like squiggly brackets of a prop prop of the dollar sign props reactive reactivity. Uh, OK, rune. it's it's not much different. Uh, just a little bit different in terms of syntax and you can do it all in like one line instead of having to write literally like export this, export that, export this, export that. Which got messy to be honest. It kind of looked like I was declaring very, and I wasn't, but it was like, look, kind of look, I was declaring variables globally and it's sort of like, is this, is this right? And it gets more complex than that if, with the old method where let, let's say you have all those variables that you explicitly want to declare. Well, what happens if you have properties that are part of a div, Right. So like that, class, that may or may not exist or something. That may or right? may not exist. So now you have to spread the rest of the property. Like there literally was this dollar sign, dollar sign, rest props, dot, dot, dot thing that you had to do on in each component that you wanted to accept any property in and then do like generically anything you want with or just put it onto the like the div that you're building or the A tag that you're building or whatever. Right. So like it was a little bit messy. It wasn't a huge deal. Like I wouldn't say this was a game changer or something that was really like stopping us from using Svelte. It's just nice to see that I don't have to do that anymore, really. It's a little bit cleaner uh, to organize your properties. I like that. But yeah, that's the paradigm shift here. Like the paradigm shift went from simple magic to explicit magic. So it's a little bit more like, hey, this is what this does. Use it like this. And the reason this was done isn't because, hey, we just wanted to make it clearer. Like that's not the reason. It's it's a side effect of the change. It's I think a good thing, but the reason it was done was because you couldn't use any of these Svelte properties or any of these Svelte magic stuff inside of JavaScript or TypeScript files, which means that it became very difficult to build stuff like a library that used anything outside of just basic JavaScript and utilized any of Svelte's magic to be able to like do that without doing some really complex state management store uh, logic. And this is where everything kind of fell apart a little bit with library creators. Recently, there was, there's finally been some movement in UI libraries, right? Like if you know of Radix UI or Radix in general and Shade CN uh, of React, that was not anywhere close to being ready in, in Svelte until like a few months ago where people have really determined to like work around Svelte's limitations and get these in because it's such a huge improvement for UI developers that people just needed it. Like someone just needed it for their own project. And they're like, screw this. I'm going around everything. I'm just going to build it using the limitations and that that's it. And they did. And to their credit, they did a really good job. They built something called Melt UI, 
and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. It's a really, really awesome library. They've kind of extra, they've, they've done all the logic in the complex way using uh, stores, uh, but they've made it so that you don't have to worry about that in the actual API of the UI. So they've done a, like, obviously it was tough, but they did it. But now that they have this available to them, I've already talked to some of the owners of that library and of Shade CN Svelte, so the port of Shade CN, and they have been ecstatically happy with the changes. Like this is going to make their code significantly simpler, which means that other libraries, whether it be UI or other things for that Svelte could add authentication, whatever, um, they'll have an easier time implementing Svelte specific features into them. And that's really, I think, the core concept of why they decided to go down this route, because the limitations that were happening for these developers was limiting the Svelte ecosystem, right? And the complexity that you could develop inside of Svelte. And now that's gone. You can put all of Svelte logic into any JavaScript and TypeScript file. Any of these signals will work, no problem. Then you can import that logic into a Svelte file and use it as you like anywhere. So it's just way cleaner, and state management becomes even simpler. That's another huge side effect of this. I, I, I was like mind blown with. So with Svelte state management before, again, I mentioned stores recently. Uh, you had like the dollar sign and you, you could use any variable. And then that would create a store for that variable that could be used across any of the different components that you created. In a simple use case of just like one store and one subscribe, unsubscribe method, it's simple and it was great and I loved it and I still kind of love it because like it's so much easier to wrap my head around than something like uh, the React state management with Redux or Vue state management with Vuex, although Vue is a little bit better. doesn't matter. Um, but it's now become much simpler. You just externalize a state variable, literally a dollar sign state variable, and you can import it into any component and any component that changes its state, it will literally... Uh, change in any other component that it's being used. So that's how simple it is. You don't, you no longer need these unsubscribe, subscribe methods. You no longer need any sort of complex state stores. Um, it's kind of mind blowing how easy state management will be with this, with this new change. And I, that, that's probably the main reason I'm excited for uh, the runes announcement. Now, let me just give a quick overview of what signals versus runes is. So, or sorry, signals versus hooks is. So runes are essentially signals. It's a, it's a JavaScript framework paradigm of reactivity, how you handle state changes in your application and how other parts of your application will react to those state changes, whether it be inside of one component or whether it be component to components, right? Hooks is something specific to react on how they handle state changes. Um, Signals is actually used by many other frameworks, SolidJS being one of the main ones, but Angular has signals. Uh, a, a derivative of React called Preact has signals. And in fact, you could technically even import signals into your React app as a separate state management protocol. So it is a very spread across thing. And the main difference that I've understood, and I could be kind of wrong on this, but I think this is the main difference, uh, is that signals can be used across any of your components apps or any of your components files. They are not limited to a React file or a TSX file 
or a Svelte file, for instance, they are uh, the ability to externalize and use throughout. So your TypeScript files, your library files can import these signals, change something, and then it can then propagate all the way into your component like Svelte file without having to do any sort of crazy context connection or any sort of explicit state management. It's just works kind of quote unquote by magic. The link is very long and very, uh, it, it, the link between these signals are very, um, I, I, I'm having trouble coming up with the word, but they're, it's not as direct as a hook would be. So in a hook, when you change a state, you need to set state. You know what I mean? Like it's a very direct thing. Like you're setting state with a function called set state of that function. With a signal, you're setting state by just assigning it. Right. It looks more, much more like a variable. Again, coming back a little bit to the Svelte simplicity uh, that we know and loved, adding just a tiny bit more complexity to allow for a, a larger ecosystem of development and larger applications to be a little bit easier to manage. Okay. So that's main, that's the main difference between signals and hooks. I believe that signals, because of the fact that they're externalized outside of your direct component uh, framework, uh, that allows them to be much faster too. So a change in a signal is considerably faster than a change in a hook to compute and render. I'm not going to get into why because I don't even know why uh, directly. There's probably a lot of things under the hood that caused that to happen. And that's about it for the changes. There are a few other things under the hood. I'll leave the blog post that was released in the show notes that you can go in. You can even play around with the new runes in their um, in their documentation. So you can't like use it yet in your production application, but they do have a little playground set up where you can try a rune or the runes versus the regular method and see how they work. It's really cool. Try it out. Let me know what you think on at HTML everything on Twitter. But I do want to kind of go back to our talk about change. Right. Matt and I have maybe differing mindsets on this, um, but since Matt is literally right now learning Svelte, he's learning Svelte 4, just to be clear. I'm just curious what's going on in your mind, Matt. I want to get your thoughts before I cloud them anymore with my judgment. I don't know. Like this is, this is kind of a weird um, kind of moment. And it's because like I'm learning spelt for on a very part-time basis. You know, I'm making full sex struggles episodes as I do it. I'm taking weeks away sometimes, you know, I'd love not to, but you know, we're working on, you know, content for the site and other things and uh, other projects as well. So you know, it's a very part-time basis. And then and when an announcement like this comes out, it makes me question like, yeah, sure, this is just a sneak peek. There's no release date, I, as far as I know, for Svelte 5. So it's like, do I spend my time learning Svelte 4 to then have to upgrade to Svelte 5? Or because I'm in a part-time sort of learning environment, do I just abandon it all, wait to Svelte 5, and then upgrade? Because so one big concern I have is my project, which is being very rudimentary, but my project is in Svelte 4. So then it's like, well, I'll just learn how to upgrade. It's like, sure, but I'm also learning how Svelte 4 works still. And now I got to learn how Svelte 5 works. And so I don't really know how to feel about this. And and the, the kind of first thought I had outside of my specific environment would be a boot camp. If a boot camp out there is offering, you know, a Svelte 4 plus, you know, whatever other surrounding technologies to make a website course, like how, how do they feel? Like, how do the students feel when it's like, uh Oh, 
you know, this is uh, going to upgrade. And like, what are we going to do um, when it comes? You know, I, I always kind of bring it back to IT when it comes to this, this type of stuff. And like with IT, like, you know, yeah, like things, things changed. We switched interfaces. We switched routers. Um, syntax changed for configuring routers. And, you know, the, the list goes on. Updates happen all the time, of course. And if you just bring it back to something like WordPress, something that we use a lot for our small to medium business clients. Absolutely. Things change. You know, you'll bring it into your testing, testing environment to upgrade a plugin. You upgrade the plugin and all of a sudden that plugin, which didn't, that never had a UI before and had to be configured via, you know, basically, you know, an INI file, basically like a manifest file. I had to go in there and change it manually. All of a sudden it has a UI and it's like, oh shoot, like where did my configuration go? Like, is it going to move my configuration over and blah, blah, blah. And to me, you know, it's not the biggest deal in the world. It sucks. You know, I don't like changing things, but like, that's not the big deal because I know where my configuration is. So at worst case scenario, if it like deleted my configuration, I have a backup. I'll just go pull the backup, pull it up on a second monitor and then type in my configuration into the UI and anything that's missing or changed or that it won't accept. I can look up the changes, but that's because I come from this place of knowledge moving to a new place. Coming from a place of shaky knowledge, learning knowledge, or absence of knowledge to then get moved into the void of <laughs> the void of even more like, hey, we're changing things. It's like fantastic. If you like, if you like getting your getting your license to drive, and then they're like, by the way, the roads are no longer the way they are. It's like, great. Time to read driver's manual version two, you know, not good. And so what do you think in this particular case for me, but also for other people that are learning Svelte 4? And what do you think about the, the part-time angle? Yeah, it's good. Like, I think everything that you said is is really valid and it makes a lot of sense to me that this is what you would be thinking. And I thought like myself that a lot of new people that are just learning about Svelte would have the exact same thought. So to address that, my thought is like, learn it, learn Svelte 4 because the paradigm shift between Svelte 4 and 5, yes, there are some differences, but it's great. It, it'll be a huge, huge boost to your confidence when you can be like, oh, I get it in the in terms of I see the I see why they did dollar sign state instead of this. Right. And you won't get that if you stop learning Svelte 4 right now. It's not that big of a change. And they have a lot of examples where they do like, here's how you do it in Svelte 4 and here's how you do it in Svelte 5 that will help you understand that change when you need to understand it. You don't need to understand it right now. Focus on Svelte 4 because you're going to be focusing on building your knowledge of frameworks in general. And I've always said this to people that like learning Svelte or learning React or learning Vue as a general concept outside of JavaScript is your path into learning how frameworks work. The first framework you learn, you will learn the rea how reactivity works in a framework. After that, regardless of which framework you go to, even if you were to go from Svelte 4 straight to React, that concept of going from one framework to another is going to be way easier for you than going from JavaScript to framework. Okay? And it's going to be even easier, obviously, to for you to go from Svelte 4 to Svelte 5 because the, there is still a lot of similarities. There isn't a lot you have to really change from your the, the core logic of your code. You might just have to rename things. You know what I mean? Like there is there just isn't that much work that you'll need to do to be able to take it from uh, a fully Svelte four application to a fully Svelte five application, unless the complicate the application gets super complex. In your case, it won't. That's the great thing. 
right? You're learning in this method of Svelte 4. It's still great. Again, I've used it. I've been using it in production applications. I still like the simplicity of it. I think for onboarding new developers, it's kind of awesome. And that's one thing I'm afraid of with Salt 5 is, is it going to have another hurdle for new developers to cross? Because I've suggested Svelte specifically to people that are having trouble with React to get the, over that hump. And I've had success where I've told, hey, developer X, can you like you're having trouble getting your concept around use state and use effect and all that in React. Go take a break. Take three days. That's not that much time in the grand scheme of things. Build a little application in Svelte. You already have a little bit of React knowledge. Build it in Svelte. And I've had time and time again success with them being like, I get it. I get the concepts that Svelte is trying to teach. And I can take those concepts and I can now learn React in a different way with a better mindset of how to utilize it. So because now they have an idea of like, oh, like Svelte has this dollar sign paradigm. How do I do that in React? Right. And now you're going into the use effect side of things. And now you understand use effect more because Svelte taught you it's simpler and React is going the more complex route of more explicit. And there's nothing wrong with that. But again, it is more of a hurdle for someone that's having trouble to cross. So again, to break it down for people that are learning Svelte 4 right now, do not stop learning Svelte 4. It's a great knowledge base to gain because you can transfer it to any of the other frameworks as you start learning the similarities and the paradigms. And even knowing the differences is really good because you start to understand why <laughs> all these frameworks even exist. For someone outside of, of people that are using the frameworks, this seems ludicrous. What the hell is going on? Why is there 15 different frameworks being developed for 15 different platforms? There's a reason for it because there's little things that some one framework does that's better than the other framework. And it's really cool that when you start to piece that together. So again, keep going. Part-time basis, Matt, I don't think it matters. You just keep learning as you're learning. Just, you know, Svelte 5 is going to exist at some point. We don't even know when. Don't worry about it. It's not something you can you can change. Like if you were to learn React, again, same thing would have happened with React server components. It's a paradigm shift. You would have to go through it. If you learn Vue, again, it happened between Vue 2 and Vue 3. Like it's going to happen regardless of what you're learning. If you learn JavaScript, all of a sudden there's going to be a new like Web Components API came out. Boom. New paradigm shift. The transition API came out. A whole new thing that you have to learn. It happens in any language, in anything that you do, whether it be base knowledge core core pillars or frameworks you just have to accept it and you have to get to a point where you're comfortable with the change and again like don't be afraid of it find comfort in change so i do have a question like i mean I, it's going to be a hard a hard sell for me to get used to change like i'm an old man but uh, <laughs> um everything i have is old and breaking down as mike heard before before this episode <laughs> and being taped together uh and used for way too long but um, one thing I, I do have a question actually from the developer community side is you were talking about, you know, if someone's learning React, they're struggling, you recommend Svelte 4, then they understand the, the concept and then they're able to transition back to React because they're asking the question like, okay, in Svelte, I understood how something that was reactive worked. How do I make something reactive like this in, in, in React? Those developers kind of sound like they're in a place of understanding vanilla JavaScript. And you and I always preach the three pillars, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. You know, it sounds like a broken record and it is. But the question I have is, is this perspective different, do you think, 
for anyone who's learning Svelte 4 first. This is their first thing. They haven't messed with HTML. They haven't messed with JS. They haven't messed with anything. They literally started Svelte 4, went to the My First App, you know, tutorial, or went to a YouTube video, started learning. Is this going to be a, a, a hard transition for them? Do, like, what, what's going to happen? Like, what do you think? It's an estimate. You know, it's a speculation. But what do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. And even as much as we preach, don't do that. Uh, there are a lot of people that do, whether it be Svelte or React or whatever. Uh, I find especially with React, a lot of people will dive in without learning HTML, CSS straight into React. And yes, it's going to be a, a bigger hurdle for them to 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 continually evolve with the framework because they just don't have the core concept of the language down to be able to even differentiate what frame, what the framework is doing and what JavaScript is doing. Like, is the framework assigning variables? Is the framework uh, providing the for loop or the each loop or the array manipulation that you need to do? Or is that the language JavaScript itself? Like, how do you know what to ask, what question to ask and where? Like, do you look for it in the Svelte docs? Do you look for it in the like Stack Overflow? Do you look for it on MDN? Like, where do you look for your documentation even to find the answer to what you're trying to solve? Having said that, like, if you grind through it, I, I've seen it happen. People will figure it out. Uh, people will start to un, like understand the divide between the language and the, the framework, and they will figure it out, especially if they're coming from a background in programming in general. Like if they're coming from C Sharp and they're going di- diving right into React, the reality is, is like, you know, ideally, yeah, they learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript first, but a lot of times they don't have that opportunity because someone on their team said, hey, we need to get this web application running tomorrow. And they're not a web developer, but they need to learn it. So they'll go to React Docs and start create React app or whatever, like Next.js, however they want to do it, whatever they find online to be the easiest way and start doing it. And they're going to struggle in some ways. And they're going to swear at web developers and JavaScript and saying that we all suck and their, their language is better. But it's going to happen where like if they stick with it, I can almost guarantee they'll figure it out. It's not that crazy. Like it's not astronomically difficult to find what is like there are there is documentation for React. If you don't see for loops in there, um, probably a good indicator that this is a, re- a JavaScript thing. You know what I mean? Like it's just not that it's not ast- like, you know, it's not rocket science here. So, you know, recommended go the recommended path. But if you don't, you're still going to be fine. If you want to stick it out and to actually add to that, like we always say, the three pillars help you transition. And of course, you know, they do. Um, but I even struggle with that, with those lines. And I do know JavaScript, HTML and CSS, and I still struggle with those lines. So I can only imagine with someone who doesn't know those pillars, you know, what, <laughs> what they're going through, because it's like, where is this? And just as like a, a piece of advice, Bing AI, like the Bing AI chat tools, pretty good at distinguishing what is Svelte, Svelte Kit, and Svelte. And that's like something that's big for me because I'm always like, where the hell, like, what is this from? And so I'll be literally be like, is there any Svelte Kit in there? And then it'll, it'll say this function that I wrote is from this. And this function that I wrote is from that. And because I usually get it to type me up something and then I kind of study it and I'm like, okay, hang on. Is that JavaScript? Because it kind of looks like it. And it's like, oh yeah, it is. That's vanilla. It's like, all right, cool. And then sometimes it'll even, it'll even recommend a, a, an alternative. It'll say, we could have did this with, with Svelte, but it's standard to do it like this because it's so simple. And that's happened a couple of times. You know, your results may vary. The other day it kept telling me it couldn't tell me code. I, you know, who knows with these 
AI things, but as a little bit of advice, that does um, that does help. But yeah, if that's all, then Matt, uh, some good questions there. I think the good discussion there was realistic, right? Like this is what people are going to be thinking. Uh, and I'm hoping that I've calmed down some of them. I know that some will still go the route of panic and moving away. That's fine. Which then they'll have to learn anyway if they move away, which is another like like I I panic and stay there, and then it's yeah. really bad because I'm panicking in the chaos yeah. as the chaos washes over. He's like, ah! like <laughs> you know, and then it's just chaos like th- throughout the whole thing. Exactly, and like honestly, in that even in that scenario, Matt, if you were to like panic and stay in Svelte Four for a year or two years or whatever, in my opinion, that would not be that bad. Like whatever, like you're still learning again, framework concepts, you're still building a really cool reactive application that's super fast and really well written and easy to read. So like, whatever, like if, if that's going to be the case, then that's fine too. Um, when you're comfortable with it, you can start dabbling into whenever Svelte 5 comes out and that could be a fun little experiment for you up for your first time upgrading from one framework version to another whole set of opportunities for content. Let us know if you want to, uh, Matt to do like blog posts on his experience with that. Cause I know there's probably a lot of people out there that are like Matt and they hate change. So for, uh, from that person's perspective, it might be good for them to hear how someone that hates change handles change. <laughs> if that makes sense. It's also, I'm also a bit of a, a hypocrite too. Cause it's like, I hate change, but I also want my video games to look better. So that's a, that's a major change. But I do have one final question, actually, just based on what you said. So, like, I'm building a Svelte 4 app, whatever. Let's just say I finish it. It's not like a production app that everyone's using and, you know, whatever. So this is very much like a private app, even if it's, quote, unquote, in production online. You know, no one in the public is using it. It's like we're using it. Maybe it's even behind a password wall or something. Okay, so let's just, you know, take take the public and the crucial, you know, mission critical status of anything like that out of it, of this question. Do you recommend for people or would you think to, to, to learn to do that upgrade? Like I know you said for me, it makes sense because, you know, it might be some content. I get to learn that. But when these people that you're talking about are learning Svelte 4, let's just say they've learned Svelte 4 pretty good to the point where they're like employable. Svelte 5 releases shortly after, you know, they've, they've quote unquote completed Svelte 4. Do you think that they should be upgrading those portfolio apps or do you think it's more beneficial in a learning environment? to create a new Svelte 5 app? Like, what do you think? Obviously, if they're specifically trying to learn how to upgrade, then they would do that. But if they don't really care about that and they're just like, oh, I've learned Svelte 4, cool. I'm going to go learn Svelte 5 now. Do they bother with the upgrade? So I'll be realistic in this sense, like time permitting, it would be great to have something like that under your belt, like one application that you've taken from Svelte 4 to Svelte 5, because you can talk about that extensively during an interview process. And that's something that's viewed highly in the industry, it was like, if you're able to take an old code base and migrate it to a newer version of something, that's a really good skill to have. It, it, there's a lot of caveats that you don't realize until you start doing that of what happens. The reality is, are you going to be doing that very often in your code bases? Probably not. Like, it's probably going to be like the next project you work on is going to be a Svelte 5 project and the old project will be maintained in Svelte 4. I'm just trying to think for myself, like the projects that we're currently working on, they're fairly complex to migrate it from Svelte 4 to 5 completely would be a pretty massive effort. Um, So realistically, we're probably going to upgrade to Svelte 5, but will we migrate fully to runes in the foreseeable future? No, 
We're going to use runes moving forward on some of the components that we build out. Most likely, we'll probably take pieces that are heavily changed, like the pieces that we have to update and maybe migrate those to runes, right? But there's going to be some Salt 4 in our code base for a while. I have no doubt about that. Whether it be there forever is also a very real possibility. I don't think that like it's realistic for a small team to go in and start migrating every time there's a massive change because realistically the old way is still fine. Like if there was a if the, if it, if this was like you know something that was astronomically better and it would increase our revenue by 10x if we did this migration, that would be a different conversation. But this is an engineering effort that will increase our code readability by 10% or 20% or 50%. It's just financially a lot of times not feasible to do internally. So the next project, yes, well, five and certain pieces of this project will be, but not the whole thing. Okay. So it's, it's, it's unlike WordPress where like, you know, WordPress suggests that you update everything, you know, update the platform, WordPress itself, update all the plugins. But I mean, realistically speaking, there's a lot of sites out there that a plugin stop being supported, but they need it. And so they just have this old plugin sitting there. Is it ideal? No. But in this felt four case, you don't have the same, I would assume you wouldn't have the same, because it's front end, it wouldn't have the same like sort of security vulnerabilities and such. If you like leave a felt like three even piece in there and it's still, you know, kicking, Correct. you wouldn't really, okay. So you wouldn't really touch that. Okay. Cause I'm, I'm kind of coming at it from that. Like, Hey, I got to upgrade, you know, as, as much as I can. And it's a real pain, you know, to do that kind of environment. Like we're, we're from WordPress. So it'll be, uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll like attempt. Maybe I'll attempt the upgrade just for fun then instead of out of like cruciality, if that's a yeah, word. It's not, but uh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like if time permitting and for you, hopefully time will be permitting for creating content around it, right? Because it's an interesting piece of technology to work with. Like the, the migration of from one to another is a really interesting like piece of content usually. Because again, there's caveats. There's always going to be caveats. There's going to be these little things that you did not think that were going to be complicated that might be complicated. And you're going to, you're going to have some, you know, roadblocks. And st- anyway, it creates a lot of interesting conversations. For sure. And I mean, as a, I guess a bit of a sneak peek, we're, we're thinking about doing a documentation episode next week um, to talk about like roadblocks and stuff like that. And a lot of the roadblocks that I have, which I don't want to start ranting right now, are because of bad documentation. Creating stupid problems. So we'll be talking about that next week. But if that concludes this episode, I think uh, we can run the old conclusion. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, run it up. Alrighty, well, uh, if you want to support episodes like this, we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. We also have a Scrimba affiliate link. It gives you a discount. Go check it out. Link will be in the show description as well as the show notes on HTML, all the things.com. And many thanks to our $3 tier patrons. Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital on blueblackdigital.com. Tim from The Web Hacker on thewebhacker.com. Jason from Geek Life Radio via geeklifereader.com. Michael Curie from MC Web Studio via mcwebstudio.ca. Magnus from YesWeb via yesweb.se. Jeff from Twitter via at the Jeff McHale. Fire Ant Season via fireantseason.com. Uh, Gunner Burnett via gunnerburnett.com. Watoto Coding via watotocoding.com. Garrett Segal and Level Up Financial Planning uh, via www.levelupfinancialplanning.com. Feel free to leave a comment or review on the platform you're listening to this on. And this outro will sign us off. You've been listening to HTML All The Things Podcast. 
web development, web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off. <laughs>